1: is a boardwalk audio podcast hey guys this is tweety you can follow fish out of water podcast on twitter at foopod f-o-o-w-p-o-d or on facebook at facebook.com backslash fish out of water podcast thanks guys enjoy the episode
2: uh, 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 check it, you are now tuned in to Fish Out of the Water Where comedians learn from forerunners and give honor Tweety and Jeremiah mix it up like honor Palmers, Making sure everybody leaves educated like scholars This is Fish Out of Water This is Fish Out of Water
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Fish Out of Water I'm Ryan And I'm Jeremiah And today we have um, another one of our uh, people I've known for years now uh yep. fellow Nebraskan. Woo! He was a Daily Show correspondent. Um he was on the Chappelle show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. He was the nationwide insurance guy. I don't know what the name of that character was. It's the world's
3: greatest spokesperson in the world.
1: The world's greatest spokesperson in the world. Yeah. Mr. Bob Wiltfong ladies yeah. and gentlemen all right yeah. Yeah. yeah good to be here good to be here, to be here. thank I'm, you i'm like clapping <laughs> he's either clapping or
3: feigning masturbation yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, my uh, microphone broke so i've got to hold the stand to tweet masturbates open-handed yes exactly <laughs> it's a very slow come. Yeah. yeah it's a very <laughs> slow that's true six hours um, so uh, how you been bob i've been good yeah it's good yeah it's good to be back i haven't talked to you in a while so it's good yeah. to reconnect and Talk a little Nebraska football before we get on. Yeah. So, so I good. know
1: Bob from we do a Husker podcast called the Big Red Copcast. If there's any crossover, I really doubt <laughs> Zero it. Crossover. Right, right, right. But, Zero crossover. But uh we uh and we do that together occasionally yeah. he comes on and we bullshit about Husker football. So Yeah.
0: I love to give tweety shit about the there's no difference between Nebraska and Iowa. Are you also offended by that statement? Uh not dude. dude it's a little bit more close
3: to the bone for Ryan. But yeah, sure. They're all kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not true though. <laughs> it's not true. So I mean, upset. there's a difference when you get down to it. There's definitely a difference between yeah. Nebraska and Iowa. But, but for for somebody who's not from that part of the world, they might as well be the same. Right. right. I'll okay. give you that. All right. But also, like, <laughs>
0: here he goes. Here you can't just let it go. No, yeah, That's the thing I love about Tweety. Right. He just can't just he concede can. to the fact that I'm – he no. knows I'm fucking with him. Well, I right. know, but, like,
1: it's also, like, just in case – that I, and it's more about football with me. Like, I get the, the – I mean, like, Iowa – like, in general, the state of Iowa smells worse than the state of Nebraska. But, like, that aside, like, they can't help that. It's just, you know, they can't help that. Yeah. It's It's that you can't – if, if there's a Hawkeye fan thing. listening, I just want to make sure they understand that I know, <laughs> okay. that Bob knows, that the entire world knows that the Cornhuskers are a better football team than Iowa, even though they got our number like the last year or so. Amen to that.
3: Yeah. I, I think we can all agree that that's a yeah. major difference sure. between Nebraska and Iowa. So yeah. we have a better football
1: program. We have a better football program. Sure. Uh, you know, with The Daily Show, <laughs> it, it,
3: Ryan gives me shit about this because I went to the University of Kansas. I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, but went to the University of Kansas, which Ryan will uh, – there's still part of Ryan that gets
1: irritated by that. Yeah, yeah. because it, you can't cheer for Husker football and not cheer for Husker basketball. In Ryan Tweedy's world, that's true. Okay,
0: okay?
3: He's yeah. a J-sker,
1: uh, but he's not even a J-sker. I'm a J-sker.
3: Yeah, it's complicated. But <laughs> here's the thing. With The Daily Show, there was a strong KU uh, trend when I was at Daily Show. Because there was myself, the executive producer, Stuart Bailey, one of the uh, bosses of the show, was a KU guy. And Rob Riggle, who came in shortly after I left, was a KU guy. Oh, interesting. So KU kind of ran through the Daily Show for a while. Thank you. Yep.
1: Hmm. Um, I didn't know that Rob Riggle was a KU guy. He was also a Marine.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he went to KU at the same time I was there. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: That's cool. Yeah. I wonder
0: if that kind of stuff ha- helps. I, I mean, I, I guarantee it helps for sure. Yeah. I would think so. I guarantee I know when Nebraska I ask people does. at work and they're like, I'm from Florida, I don't know what it is about it because Florida sucks pretty much. You know, like <laughs> there's not a lot of good stuff that comes out of Florida, but if someone's like, Oh, you're from Florida, I'm like, Me too, man. I'm from Florida. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, there's something that just, like, I don't know. You know Do you know another
3: or... Daily Show guy who's got Florida roots to stand back at all? Oh really? He went to Florida State.
0: Oh, see, now that might cause some trouble. Because yeah. Florida and Florida State hate each other. Oh yes. Well, yeah. in sports, I don't care. I could give a shit. But right. most people, you know.
1: Yeah, you should have back all on. He's he's yeah written a lot of stuff. too. He's great. I actually got to do a sketch with him for the break womb. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. Him and uh, um, Laurel Copic the yeah. Um, what is it? The Toyota. Toyota. Girl. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents were more excited that I was in a sketch with the toyota girl than they were been back at all and i was like you guys right i get it I get Well, it's it, all
0: about your yeah. current credit right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's because nebraska is better than Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> there you go jeremiah good job that's good job that's how you do it that's
3: how you soothe it yeah. so
1: okay so how do we want to start i guess do you want to kind of tell us uh where you got your comedy sort of bearings and
3: Yeah, uh, I'll give you a Reader's Digest version quick. So, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, for whatever reason, uh, always felt called to like sketch and improv specifically more so than stand up. I don't know why, but that always, like Saturday Night Live really appealed to me. And Second City got on my radar and like college. And that was like, oh, that sounds so cool. But it was also Forbidden Fruit. Being from Omaha, I didn't understand how one even gets on that radar. Mm -hmm. So, I uh, went to the University of Kansas, as I mentioned uh graduated with a broadcast news journalism degree, became a TV news reporter because I didn't know what else to do, and that that also kind of spoke to a part of what I'm interested in, which is histor- history and current events, and uh, started to hopscotch around the country, I took a job in Lake Charles, Louisiana, met my future wife there, then went to Wichita, Kansas, where I did stand-up, an open-mic stand-up night in Wichita, Kansas for the first time ever, and completely sucked, and <laughs> it was awful and uh long to, at that point was pretty turned off already with my career in tv news about 5 years in knew i didn't want to do it and started to daydream about going to chicago and living the dream of improv for whatever reason and went my bright idea at that point was i was going to go to law school mm-hmm. as an excuse to get up to chicago cuz i couldn't imagine just quitting my job and going up there and waiting tables and as fate would have it, I was three months away from starting school, probably at Loyola Chicago Law School, because I got admitted, uh, when my TV news agent at the time got me a job in Long Island, New York. Mm. So I went from Wichita, Kansas, to the number one market in the country, a Nebraska kid, never been to New York, oh, and wow. it was too good of an opportunity to say no to. When I landed in New York, my one of my first... Uh, Priorities was to call Second City in Chicago and say, "Finally, I'm in a big enough city where I could actually pursue this as like a thing." Called up Second City in Chicago, said, "Is there anybody in New York that does similar stuff to what you guys do that I could be a student at?" And the person who was on the phone with me referred me to the UCB. Oh, wow! Uh, the Upright citizen Brigade had just started in New York; they had just got on the air at Comedy Central mm-hmm. with their sketch show, and so I began taking classes at UCB right when they started. So that was very, you know, good timing on my end and watch that thing kind of grow into what it is now. Learned from the people very quickly about the UCB way and was all in, you know, the cult of the UCB. I was I was there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, all in. You didn't have to argue with me about it. I was (laughs) like, uh, this is where I need to be. So while I was finishing, while I was working my job in TV news, I would go in on my off hours and continue taking class at UCB. And a long story short, that became a bigger and bigger part of my life. Uh, September 11th happens in New York. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for me uh, for TV news. And I said, fuck it, life's short. I'm going to quit and pursue this dream and actually see what happens. So six months away from 9-11, I quit TV news I at that point I'm married. I've got a loving wife who supports me in this pursuit, uh, who made money. Most important thing in the world <laughs> is money, and uh, I then my first priority is to write a one man show. Uh, because I knew that was going to be a vehicle for me to get out there as an improviser. I'm on a team. It's hard to break through the clutter, and I was like, I've got. I think I've got a story to tell. I think I've got. I want to try to make a play for Saturday Night Live. So I'm gonna do it through a one man show. So I dedicated myself to writing for like a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing sketches. I'm thinking of coming up with character monologues. Uh, am I answering your
1: question? Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's it. Yep. So I'm completely enthralled. That's why I'm so, okay, quiet. <laughs> so this
3: this'll kind of get you into the writer's room and, and how Daily Show got on my radar. So I write these character monologues with the idea I want to be on Saturday Night Live. That's what I'm going for. So I write what I think are funny character monologues that are drawn out of a lot of improv sketches and kind of extrapolating. And I rent out a theater space in New York and put it up for friends. My first go of this one man show mm-hmm. thing. And it largely just like flatlines. Doesn't do so well. Things that I don't think are so great. I get feedback from my friends. I like do a questionnaire afterwards with all my friends. Things that I don't think are great. They're telling me are great and vice versa. Interesting. Like one of the characters I did, is just kind of, a, I didn't have much to it was this old timey sports announcer that was talking about guys, potato chips, you know? <laughs> um, and there was something there that they were responding to. And Kind of where this evolved in is some of the feedback was what was real and what was unique to me is what people dug. So then I put, I started to work the material more and more. My first name of the show was called Skedaddle because I thought that was kind of a funny, you know, whatever. Put it up again in a formal setting at an uh, like a workshop night for the UCB on a Monday night. Bombed. Did awful. And, but I kept working at it. I hook up with Chris Gethard. Chris Gethard starts to work with me on the show. We start to make it funnier, right? It starts to become funnier and we're starting to really hone in on some characters. But at some point in the evolution, I get the feedback of, uh, take it to the next level of like, and I'll never forget this. I'm going to mention a name that you may know. Jackie Clark. Yeah, I know Jackie Who's a writer for Superstore now. hmm I'll never forget, I was talking to her about creating the one-man show. And I said, you know, I'm really struggling with these characters. And she goes, you know, Bob, I don't understand why you don't write about your TV news experience. And I felt like that was kind of boring. You know, I wanted to be exciting and I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. That's not going to get me on Saturday Night Live. But she, her point was, it's completely unique and fascinating to anybody who isn't in it and it's your story, and it's real, go with that. And I remember that conversation. I shared that with Jackie. I saw her like six months ago, and I shared it. That was a turning point in the evolution of the material. So I was like, oh, yeah, she's probably right. You know, it goes to the whole, uh, you know, UCB teaching, write what's real, you know, be top of your intelligence, and don't worry about being funny. All that stuff fit. So then I started to make it much more real. And I talked about why I got out of TV news. And in large part, it was because 9-11 happens. A friend of mine dies on that day. Oh, wow. Fucking, you can't get more non-funny than that, right? And and I've we've got video of him going into one of the Twin Towers. It's like, fucking, it'll stop you in your tracks on a comedy show. So that becomes part of the show. And in order to tell the story of why i got out of tv news cuz that's what the show started to become right my journey in tv news and why i was getting out of it was i had to talk about my dad because my dad had instilled in me at an early age in, in omaha to see things through to once you commit yeah. to it you fucking see it through and what was driving that message from him is my dad was gay I didn't and know this that. yeah and so that was part of became part of the show too now all of a sudden i'm a fucking expose my dad you know it's like fuck my dad my friend died my dad's gay you know it's like this is not funny but people respond to that yeah. you know because it's real and it's like holy shit you know these are this that's human so that my show becomes that and it becomes uh, a show that people respond to it gets a good slot at UCB. It gets teamed up at the same time that Ed Helms had just gotten cast on Daily Show. He's doing a sketch show with some friends. He's the like the opening act for my show. Oh wow. So that you know, I've got a good crowd and the show's doing well. People are responding to it. From that show around that time, I get I get on the radar of Chappelle Show. Cause Chappelle Show starts to cast their pilot. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, stop me at any point if you want me to go a different direction. With no, 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 questions. no, no, no. I,
1: I want to. I keep wanting to ask like questions about like more in depth stuff, but I'll come back to them.
3: because okay. this is
0: just really. Interesting. I'm creating a list in my head. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> Sch- Chappelle show,
3: I I start to become a buzz show right in New York. That there's like, oh, this guy's a former TV news guy. He's talking about his dad. He's talking about 911. He's, he's making me laugh, but man, it's getting pretty serious, right? And I'm doing well with crowds. UCB starting to take off at the same time too. So Chappelle casting their pilot, looking for TV news guy for the sketch. I'm right up their alley. Right. So uh, from an from a, uh, I did background on the UCB sketch show one day and drove home from the burbs of New Jersey where they were shooting into Manhattan with Amy Poehler, Ian Roberts, and Joy Bahar's daughter who worked on the show and we're sitting there talking in the car and I'm sharing with them about my TV news experience because they're asking questions, you right. know I'm? and I'm a groupie at this point. I'm like, Oh man, thank you so <laughs> much for this opportunity to be involved in this thing. So Joy Behar's daughter keeps that in the back of her head. She's at comedy central. And when they're casting Chappelle, she's part of the little birdie in the room who says, Hey, there's this guy who does TV news. Who's like a legitimate improv guy. So the Comedy Central calls me up out of the blue and said, hey, do you have an example of some of your new stuff? So I throw it out to them, and they cast me in the pilot. The pilot gets cast, and that becomes a thing. Within six months, that thing becomes like, Mm -hmm. whoa, that's becoming a big deal. So all of a sudden, I got cachet. I'm like, yeah, I'm part of Chappelle's show. And so then that helped The Daily Show. Okay. And so... Uh, meanwhile, I'm still doing my show and still, you know, workshopping it and trying to get it better. And uh, Daily Show brings me in for an audition. And of all the... There are few things I can do well as a comedy actor. This is one thing I I should and I, I'm i confident I can do well. I can make fun of news pretty well. Right, right. Of course. Because I've done it legitimately for 10 years at that point. I can read off a prompter and make it look like I'm a real newscaster and fuck with people. Mm. So I felt very good about the audition. I come in I do the audition. The audition goes well. and Did you reach
2: out to
0: them, or did they see you at your show?
3: I don't know exactly what the moment was
1: that I got on the radar, but they reached out to me.
0: Wow. That's really
3: cool.
1: Yeah. I would love to see your audition. I've actually filmed one or two auditions for other people that auditioned for The Daily Show. And it was... A kind of a weird like I remember watching being like this is how you audition for the day for the daily show huh I would love to see what your audition looked like What how do you audition
0: is it something different
1: it, they they just sent in um it was like I feel like they had a they got a bit that was written from yeah. someone and then they had to do they had to come up with their own as well
3: yeah probably write something that and see if they can nail the voice of it yeah
1: so they had to do both. You had to do something somebody else wrote, and then something you wrote on your own. But then it was literally just one camera locked, like a, you know, um, I can't think of the right word, but where you send in your own audition. You'll do them from, like, LA casting or whatever. Yeah. Actually, like, this is through their agent.
3: Now, when I got, I got cast on the show in 2004, so this is quite a few years back. I'm sure they do it differently all the time, and they probably change their method i actually should backtrack i auditioned for daily show twice the first time i went through is when rob cordry and ed helms got cast on the show Mm -hmm. and that was done through a traditional casting office in new york that brought in some improvisers and people that were kind of up and comers and i'll never forget as fate would have, this is one of those moments too like crossroad moment you don't know it's big until you look back on it is the guy winning right before me was ed helms and Ed and I knew each other. I was a much bigger deal. Not that I was a huge deal, but I was a bigger deal at that point than Ed was in the the scene. And he knew my background as a TV news guy. And I'll never forget Ed right before he goes in. He goes, this is no fair. You're a ringer. <laughs> Ed gets cast to the show. And then, you know, Ed is who he is yeah. now. But anyway, I went through that series of auditions and didn't get cast. I didn't even get a call back on that one. And I was just like, I was pissed off. I was like, if anybody does this, I can do this. Right. Why didn't I even get a call back? You know? So I remember just a year and a half later is basically when I got back, called in. And then, then they brought me on set and did, you know, a thing with John. And I knew when I was sitting in the green room, Ben Carlin, who's one of the other executive producers at that point comes back to me. And I think Ben was my guardian angel. I think Ben was the one who shepherded me into the process. He had seen me. That's my theory, because he was the one who came back to the green room before I went out there and said, "How you doing? Are you doing okay?" And I made a comment, which absolutely I think spot on, even to this day. I said, "I've been watching a lot of Stephen Colbert. I feel like I can do Stephen Colbert pretty well right now, because that that basically, if you can do Stephen Colbert doing the Daily Show, you got a pretty good chance of making the Daily Show, in my opinion. Yeah, because he's kind of set the standard. He's kind of found that voice." So when I went out there I did my thing. Uh I did it well enough when I I got a round of applause at the end which was a good sign. John didn't make much conversation at all. It was very, you know, awkward kind of small talk with John didn't really want to visit. Uh and then the other executive producer Stuart Bailey who's one of the KU guys came up to me at the end and shook my hand and that to me was a good sign of like wow they really that felt good. Right. They, right. They're like, "Hey, Good job, you know, so
0: this was just a pre tape just to test you with him, yeah, like they were I just... think
3: what they did uh, i don 't know who else they brought in that day, but I know when i got when I got let go of Daily show <laughs> uh, that they brought in other people, like you know they had appointment times where they would bring you somebody in, you had thirty minutes, and then they 'd try to get you out of the building before they brought in the next guy right. that 's my impression of what happened. Mm-hmm. And on closed-circuit TV, the people who were the employees then could watch the monitor of, like, who they auditioned.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
3: So I I think that's what was going on. While I was auditioning, I bet you anything, there was people up in the writer rooms looking at the screen saying, who's this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my daily show.
0: And what was that exact bit? What is it, was it something they did?
3: It, yeah, it was, it was scripts that were provided in advance. They were stuff that had already aired. Oh, uh, really it was... Did. Yeah, it was reading intros. I, th- If I recall right, it was like a little Q&A with John, like a debrief with the correspondent. Mm-hmm. I forget what they called those things, but it was like yeah. a... It's know. like after
0: they do the segment, yeah. you come back to the
3: studio yeah. and you're there. And you do, do a little bit. Right. So they had to see that. And I think I also did, as I recall, like reading to camera, like I was introing something that John would have introed. Mm. Just to see how you handle yourself and going from one ca- camera to the next and see if you're comfortable, I right. think right the the I remember I did two takes of it, and the the second take they just asked me to get bigger, just asked me to you know i I was reading it pretty dry and pretty straightforward, and they were mm-hmm. they asked me to get bigger, which is no problem for me. I feel no problem with that, and I did it, and they they laughed,
0: yeah, you know what's crazy is like not too long ago i I thought of. I thought to myself, what if you went into like being a news anchor? Like, I would love to be a news anchor, like that gets thrown, you know, a field reporter, yeah, whatever. Just because I don't know, there's something whenever I see these videos of like, there's just such a type an archetype of a, of like an anchor person versus a person who's, I don't, I don't, I don't know the terminology. You, you probably know much better, but to me, I just want it like. Uh, it's just it's very funny yeah like it's a great opportunity i think for you to be a funny I, you never see a legit funny anchor or maybe not anchor man, but like field reporter right yeah right? like i would think there'd be some some fuckhead like me who's like i'm just gonna dick off and like get a good <laughs> following from it you know and that be like them profit from that or them like you know get a following or something like that
3: yeah there's there are people out there the struggle is that you know, in order to get up the ladder, that's not going to get you up the ladder, right? It, like,
0: if you put in the work to get there, then you kind of have to. Yeah, you can't just say, "Oh, fuck it," I'm just going to burn all these bridges, right? Because
3: are... you know, still, I was a news guy, so you you couldn't fuck around too much, and I I still did. I almost got canned because I fucked around. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you, well, you can't
1: just go pla You got to tell that story now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't just blow past that. Well,
3: here I'm a frustrated. Comedian. Basically, I'm learning more and more about improv and really loving it, but I'm also a legitimate, hard news investigative reporter out of (laughs) Long Island. So there was this dynamic that was weird for people who knew me in both those worlds because on air in News 12 Long Island was Bob Butler. My real last name is Wiltfung, right? But I was Bob Butler for news. They fake they give you fake names. Well, I did it. It was my choice. It oh, sounded okay. more news networky to me and it, it allowed me a little bit. Yeah, it really yeah. does. Yeah. Bob, Bob Butler. Butler sounds Bob
1: Butler. way it sounds way more boring than Bob Wiltfong. Yeah. yeah. Bob Wiltfong's the guy you party with.
3: Right. Yeah, Bob Butler, yeah. <laughs> yeah Wilt has got, a little, a, party. It's got right. a little
0: uh pizzazz right.
3: to it, you know. Um but anyway, you know, so you can't, there isn't much opportunity to fuck around yeah. with with the investigative hard news. Right. So I had a, uh, one of my beats was the environment beat on Long Island. The environment's a big beat out there. And so for Earth Day, I was given, because behind the scenes, I'm a goofball, right? right? I'm this guy. So people who knew me and worked with me knew I was a goof and I love to fuck around. But once it came on camera, you know, I had to lock down. <laughs> so, anyway, they threw me a bone at Earth Day. They said, okay, for Earth Day, just give us some tips of like, you know, just fuck around with it and give us some tips of how to serve, save the Earth's resources. Oh, my God.
0: They gave you too much leeway. Right. You took yeah. it and ran. So, at this point,
3: oh, I'm pretty shit. well established. I'm, uh, and I've won some Emmys, won some regional Emmys there and stuff like that. So, I've got a pretty good reputation. I'm, I know what I'm doing. So, they uh, like the second or third year of doing that, I come along a tip where it's, uh, you know, oh, how to put a shower conserving or water conserving shower head to save water. Yeah. So, my, my bright idea at that point was I'm so sick and tired of watching news reports where they show somebody in the shower and they never show the fucking money shot. <laughs> they never show them really naked. And I thought it'd be funny if I'm doing a stand up as a news reporter and I pull back the curtain and you see me head to toe naked. <laughs> <laughs> you know so that's my bright idea I'm like it'd be a funny fucking bit yeah. yeah so you know I'm not actually naked but I'm I put on like a flesh I buy like a flesh covered you know uh, little speedo yeah. and we digitize it <laughs> but that's the joke I, I talk about you know you put it in this shower head and then my last line I pull back the shower curtain i have head to toe you see this news reporter with a digitized crotch right yeah and I didn't get approval before it aired because I knew they would never approve it. I was just like, fuck it. You know, oh, this, shit. So this actually saying, played on the Long Island. It played on Long Island. Yes. And as soon as it happened, I'm sitting at my desk and I could fucking feel it. I felt it coming at me. Like the executive producer of the newsroom was like, what the fuck? You know, It was kind of that moment. I hear that in the distance. And then people laughing and people coming up to my desk and just going what the fuck did you just do you know <laughs> and at that point i was i was so you know i'm starting to go down the journey of like fuck it i i this isn't the life i want to live yeah. so if i lose my job i lose my job going out the way i want to be right. and somebody else out there has my same fucking sensibility yeah uh so that's why i did it
2: yeah.
3: i got reprimanded the next day they <laughs> they uh, the way that 24 hour local news channel they would air it initially live and then run it in repeat on tape, and they took the story out they, in repeats. But then I still remember one of the viewers of Long Island sent me an email and said that was the best fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. I laughed, laughed my ass off, you know, my ass off. So that was like, ah, somebody gets it. Yeah, you know, they, they, you can still have a sense of humor and be serious too. Mm-hmm. So
1: anyway, that was my almost getting fired. That's great. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Uh, okay, so I have so many questions. I'm trying to think. I'm gonna guess that people want to. If I was a bet man, I'm gonna guess people want to hear more about the Daily Show. Yeah. So we'll yeah. start there. Yeah. But I have so many questions about one man shows too because I think those are pretty cool. Um, so when you're doing a Daily Show bit, like, do you? They sort of say, "Hey, we need you to come on," and do. You, And do you have to then generate an idea for a story yourself, or do they give you stories to choose from?
3: Okay, I can only speak from my experience. Every correspondent would kind of handle it a little bit differently. The way I did it is I was all in. I wanted to show them that I was uh, as much as a writer as I could be a performer. So the process back then was every week there was a pitch meeting that you put together story ideas on paper that you pitched to John and the powers that be there. And they looked at them on paper. And if they liked them well enough, then they would send uh, a producer, a field producer to start setting them up. And then a correspondent and a producer would be brought on board to come up with funny ideas for that. I, for that story idea. So Nobody asked me to do it, but I did it because I wanted to, and it was in me. I was just like, fuck, I finally get a chance to, like, make fun of news. So I'm not going to sit on my hands here while this opportunity is in front of me. So I started to pitch story ideas. I don't think any other correspondent was doing Maybe Colbert was doing it because I was there when Colbert and uh, Cordry Helms, Samantha B. I think that was it. Okay. And Corell had just cycled off. I don't think those guys were pitching actively, but I was. Because I, I, here again, it was in me. So I was just like, fuck it. So a lot of them got you know, shot down. But I would put my best foot forward every week. It was a great exercise for me just to write. And that's one of the things I would say about anything you do as a writer is just keep fucking plugging away.
2: Because
3: mm-hmm. all it takes is one yes, and you know you never know. And you're always going to get better the more you do anything. So I kept submitting, submitting. And there, every once in a while, they would take a story. And I don't think I ever... Right at the end, I had a story that was this close to getting greenlit. That was my idea, and it would have been so fucking funny. And we had shit set up, but somebody bailed on it, and it never got to air. And it was the premise was: Has male figure skating gotten too gay? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we had Brian Bortano lined up. We had there was a gay men's uh, figure skating club in New York that was lined up. It was going to be great. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. But that was, I have a gay brother, and he was the one who so talked a, to me about a it. A gay dad and, and a, a gay, gay brother. brother. Interesting. Right. So, anyway, I was bullshitting with my brother one day, and he said, You know, we were talking about men's figure skating because the Olympics, I think, was on, and he said, It's gotten even too gay for me. You know, and I was like, Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's too gay for even gay people. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, uh, but it, I would, you know, pitch stories and, and, you know, it was always a great thrill when they would come back to you and say, Hey, John liked that story. Mm. Great. You know, and I had a few of those in my, I was there for a
0: year. And so I had a few of those. That was great. So when you're, did,
1: did you have a question? Jeremiah?
0: No, I was going to say, so you go into a room that's a, standard pitch room there's a, how many writers are on the daily show pretty good amount right? yeah it was
1: probably i don't know 15 to 20
3: even didn't
0: donald trump
1: part? say something like they got 95 writers in there and then they uh. did a they did a uh john stewart did a joke where they cut to the pit the writer's room and
0: it was just like people's faces smushed against <laughs> the glass because they couldn't fit funny. in the writer's room yeah that's funny uh but in, but so it's uh the, you you would just throw I don't know how do they do it they print everything out kind of like SNL where they print yes. all the so you would just throw yours in so with
3: Daily Show there's two main things you need to write for right you need to write the readers you know the the stuff that John is the only one who's going to touch and he's going to be writing mm-hmm. so that's a daily process you got to fill the show mm-hmm. and then you write the correspondent pieces. Mm-hmm. So I was only pitching correspondent pieces for the most part. I wrote I pitched something for Samantha B and I to parody a morning news show spinoff. That was one of my little creative spinoff, but for the most part I was correspondent pieces that I was pitching. So once those correspondent pieces I I can't speak to the daily show. I don't the daily, you know, readers for John. I don't know really that process except the writers really filled in that Mm -hmm. those gaps. For correspondence, you pitch once a week on paper. They would greenlight some stuff. A field producer would be sent to start setting stuff up. Once they had enough set up, then they would assign a correspondent with a producer, a field producer, to that story. Mm -hmm. And the next writing step in that process was you would then go into a room with some writers who were brought in. So it would be like two writers, maybe three writers, a field producer and the correspondent. And then you would have somebody designated as the secretary who would just write down whatever we talked about. And it was an hour in a room, kind of like we're in now, just trying to come up with funny ideas.
0: For the premise that was pitched before. Like um, what questions
3: to ask people or whatever. If that, then what? Yeah, you know, it was just it was that kind of exercise, it's
0: and your improv training kicks in at that yeah. point,
1: or even your sketch writing training, right? Ultimately, right.
3: So they would say, "Here's kind of the stuff that John is responding to. Here's what he likes, or the executive producer likes. Here's the stuff he thinks is funny, mm-hmm. and let's flesh this out a little bit more. And then, you know, okay, we've got this interview set up. What are some funny questions we could ask this person? Mm-hmm. And we talk about that." And we'd write that down. Then it'd go back to John, and they would fine-tune it. Then he'd bring it back to us, and the field producer would get a, a set list. And so then the next step was you would actually go out and shoot the interviews. Mm-hmm. So you had a list of questions that was your flow, and you your, the whole goal was to set it up, get your basics of every good story. You know, You had to get the basics out of the way and set yourself up as kind of legit, warm them up into the crazy town. Because Crazy Town was coming, mm-hmm. and you just kind of had to follow that flow. And the reason why they liked improvisers and probably still do is because there's stuff that happens in those interviews. The real stuff that happens, you can never plan for. It. Right. And, you know, if you're good and you know what you're doing, you're jumping on those moments. Right. So you had the little set list, but then you were listening and trying to figure out, oh, that's a funny little moment, and let's fuck with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do the, do the people know – I mean, they have to know at a certain point because The Daily Show got so popular. But they know what the bit is. Like, Do you tell them the premise of the bit? Or do you literally say, I'm just going to interview you, for example. I'm just going to interview you about men's figure skating, Brian. Like, yeah. I, know. I would say at the time when I was there, it was about a 50-50 split.
3: There was uh, – 50% of the people knew what was going on or had a pretty good idea what was going on. 50% were ignorant. Wow. Even to this – You know, and they never pulled punches. They said, We're with Comedy Central with this daily show. Mm -hmm. But then it was up to you to decide if you're going to do the research and figure out what the fuck it was. And our. You know, we showed up and looked like a legitimate news crew. I mean, we had a film crew that we, uh, you know, a camera crew that we had hired with the sound You're guy. dressed like a news anchor. Yeah, I'm, I'm handling myself like a news guy. Mm-hmm. We have a field producer,
0: you know, we're Do doing... they get the are ga- the people for you, like if it's a man on the street type of thing, or do you just randomly go up to people or does the producer get pull pool people for you to then interview? We did a little bit of both. Yeah. You know,
3: the uh, the only there was one story that I did that was kind of pulling people off the street, right. or a couple of stories, and that I had no problem, you know, going up to strangers and doing mm-hmm. that because I, of my experience. Of I just years.
0: did a thing for the show that we were talking about, and it's funny. There is definitely um, the show that we were talking about off oh, air. Yeah, off air. Sorry, yeah. I did a I did a show for the Comedy Central stage called the Tonight Shows, where I did a like man on the street kind of bit where mm-hmm. I went up to people and. I, I learned so much and in just interviewing people off the street one you put a camera out there people will come up to you no matter what you're doing yeah just so they can get on camera yeah and two like having if you're good at improv, it's the best thing because all the stuff that I had had planned in my head like I'm gonna ask people these questions like you said it didn't matter like they would say things that I couldn't have wrote it if I wanted to yeah. that are so funny you know those natural kind of yeah moments that people. Uh, they they just would say things that would yeah. be crazy
3: you know and that's you know that takes uh that takes a level of experience and comfort to be a good listener in those moments cuz yeah. you're it, it, when you're the guy with the camera it's awkward or you're trying to think of sound bites you know you got a lot on your mind mm-hmm. so to
0: actually be locked in and listening and tuned into that is you know that's a skill for sure yeah, yeah. it was we did this a couple different times i did two different takes of it And the first one, it was basically the bit was I did a show with my buddy Shane and I was asking the first one, I was asking people the political, like how they felt about the political climate in America, you know, warming them up. Right. And then they, they would give their opinions and then I'd ask them, do you know who Shane Hartline is? And they would say, no. And that's the bit is no one knows who this guy is, you know? And some people, it's so crazy. They don't know him, but they just based off his name has so many opinions about him. Like they'd be like. I don't know. Is he a bad guy? And i be like, yeah, of course he's a terrible person. He goes, well, then he needs to go to jail. And I was like, like, <laughs> like, like, I could right. have never thought I would have never written that <laughs> right, in a million right. years. You know, it's just uh, people are like, you know, you just honest reactions. just honest. You yeah. know, yeah, it's
3: really yeah, funny. You can't write that. Yeah, I, one of the post Daily Show uh, projects I did was. Uh, tried to and I got into meetings here in LA for uh, right when viral videos were starting to happen right right when Daniel tosh oh yeah uh, had his show about the same time I was shopping around a, a similar project and we were creating videos on the street mm-hmm Kind of based on my background and what I do as a comedian, and one of the things we did is we ambush guys coming out of peep shows in New York and ask them current event questions. <laughs> so we'd ask a guy coming out of a peep show, "What do you think of China-U.S. relations?" You know, like, fuck, uh, "Fuck, I don't know." And then the follow-up is, uh, "You know, what do you think of chicks? You know, chicks with dicks or granny, And you
2: know?
1: just you kind of pepper them with that stuff. Yeah, so. So he just totally sabotaged people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> yeah, and it goes to
3: what you were talking about is once you come up with the camera, they feel obligated to stop. They don't know what yeah. the fuck's going on, but they're like, yeah. "Oh, you've got a camera. Yeah, I, I guess I should answer you." And if yeah. you come up with confidence and you have a microphone, they'll, you know, most people are like, you know,
0: yeah, didn't yeah. know what what to do. It's it's a weird thing. I've I've done a few like man on the street interviews in the last year or so, and the the more you do it, the easier it gets the more confident you get and the more confident you get the better responses you get from people for whatever reason it is they just you know like you said if you're legitimate you seem legitimate well who's the
3: one of the guys on snl one of the uh new crew guys probably got cast in the last three or
0: four years yeah curly hair yeah Uh, what's his name um he did great Man yeah, on the street. He, oh show. my gosh, he did that one character with. The, he'd go up to sports fans and um, and just stream of consciousness yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen these, Right? Is it oh,
3: Billy?
1: It's... Not Billy. You're not talking about Billy Eichner, are
3: no. you? No. Oh my god, let me look it up. Curly haired guy with glasses oh, he came did... in with. He was L.A. based guy. They they did great sketch. They did some of the most inspiring sketch I've ever seen
1: on SNL. Uh,
3: or... No, this is pre SNL. That this to me is what got them on SNL. His Mooney, is that his name? Mooney? Uh,
0: um, yeah, could be. Hold anyway, on. it was three, three or four no, guys. Paul Mooney. Maybe that's it. Paul Mooney was the guy that wrote for Kyle Chappelle. Mooney? Kyle Mooney. Okay, I think. Yeah, it's Kyle Mooney. That's yeah. right. Okay.
2: Yeah.
3: So anyway, there are three or four guys. When they started to get, here's the backstory. Okay. One of the guys in their little group is a guy who. Before he got cast on SNL was the at t guy who sat at the table with the little kids. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I forget that guy's name, but he got he started to take off the commercial world right after my character at nationwide. Oh took yeah, off. it was like a direct lift of my character, his <laughs> character. It, 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 we kind of look alike. It's the same thing. It's just with fucking kids, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's how he came over. I was like, Oh wait, he would ask
1: all the kids all the weird questions, for Ally Insurance or whatever.
3: It was for I think it was for AT
1: and T. Oh, not the one where it's like, oh yeah, Ally Banks, whatever.
3: So I I was like, Who the fuck's this guy? (laughs) (laughs) Doing my stuff. He's doing my
0: shtick. Yeah,
3: you know. Uh, so anyway, I found him online, and he and this Mooney uh, guy were doing sketch, and they have a fucking sketch. I think it's the toast. If you look that up online, it's fucking brilliant, and it's 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 a great sketch because it has great surprises in it. It's committing to an idea and fucking blowing it out of the water, and it's just well done.
1: That's great. We'll really post we'll, we'll post a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, on Boardwalk Audio. Yep, that's cool. Yeah, um, I always love a good sketch. Like finding good sketches that blow. Like that's how I feel about uh, what's his name? He's on SNL now. Very young. He's been around for years. But like he's just now blowing up. I think he's older than me, but he looks like he's twelve. Hmm. Um, uh, D- Mikey Day. Oh yeah, Mikey he's Dale. a groundling guy. Yeah he yeah. Uh, he would do these sketches that where he would do like Chris Angel or something like no David Blaine, but he was doing these like before anybody else was doing them. You yeah. know. and he yeah. they were just so good. Oh he's... yeah, they
0: shot that behind the groundlings. Did like, they? The, the
1: orange soda kept showing up in his mouth.
0: Yeah that. The, the, when I saw the David Blaine sketch, I was in high school. and That was like in college, yeah. And I went on, like Wikipedia just came out, not just came out, but it was sometime Wikipedia was, and I Googled, like they were talking about that theater, or that, that bit they shot behind the groundlings, and it was like one of the things I was like, oh man, so... Like L. A. is the place to go if you want to like you know make comedy. Yeah, at least in my brain, my dumb yeah. adolescent brain. Yeah, the people I know,
3: at the Groundlings. That's another case. That guy's, I guess, a prolific writer. I mean, he writes a shitload of stuff. And yeah. when he was at the Groundlings, he did that too. Yeah. And yeah. if you write enough stuff, you're gonna. Mm-hmm. So that that, that kind of leads me jams. to my
1: next question for you. Um, about so you you had mentioned in the beginning like you did this with the goal of getting on SNL. Yeah. Um, which. I, you didn't get on SNL, but you still got on the Daily Show. You were still a part of Chappelle Show, which, in my humble opinion, that means nothing. Is the greatest sketch show of all time. It's a good sketch. I show. love it so much. Yeah. Um, what would you give to, let's say, the guy that's like you know twenty one, twenty two right now, getting out of college, getting ready? He really wants to do like his aspiration is SNL. His aspiration is the Daily Show. His aspiration is whatever you know having his own show like the Eric Andre show, whatever it is. Yeah. What's your advice to someone right now?
3: Uh, I would say do what you love to do. And, uh, you know, that old saying of like, do it so they can't take their eyes off you. You know, you know, it falls into that category. Just do part of what made me as an improv comedian at UCB was doing a show that I'd never thought would get on anybody's radar with my improv team where we did an improvised movie. And I was like, "This thing will never, it never fucking. There's no way it gets on TV. There's no way that anybody in the industry could work this thing."
1: Mr. Neutron, right?
3: Uh, well, neutrino was the or name neutrino. of the crew. Neutrino, neutrino. And so we just, did, you know, we just did it because we liked to do it, and that really kind of made us. That that gave us street
1: cred. Well, that was a that was a loaded cast too. Yeah. Jess I Easton
3: Allen was on that. Yeah, Kurt Braunhuller was on that. Yeah. Uh, Ptolemy Slocum's on Westworld on HBO now. Uh, so th- that would be my advice, is just really don't do stuff for the end goal. I think if I could talk to myself back then, I would say that was a mistake. It was just don't do it as a showcase for rationale. Do it because you fucking think it's really cool and it's in you. Mm-hmm and it's it's part of who you are and i don't give a shit if anybody notices this and that you asked me i think before we went on am i too old you know is 37 to fuck it yeah. do it it's in you so do it and you know that generally draws a crowd because it's genuine it's real it's unique and if even if nobody comes some of the, i i did a one man show about my kids that really didn't draw a lot of people. I stopped doing it cuz I couldn't get people to the show. That show is tight. It's a good show. I'm proud of that show. But, you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't get traction. It didn't blow up. I was older, it's about kids. It's not it's not an easy sell as opposed to I'm a former TV news guy who, you know, and I'm uh, I'm a hot property right now coming up in New York. Mm-hmm. That's easier to get your arms around industry-wise, but you know, it's just create it because it's in you. Did you
0: did you continue uh, the original one-man show that got you on the Daily Show's radar while you were still on the Daily Show? Did yeah, you kind of. Yeah, that was part of the. Uh, I kept doing that show uh,
3: because it was a good vehicle for me, and it, you know, and people were responding to it. So I took it to Edinburgh, okay? Yeah, in that's Scotland. Was yeah. And at that same time, Neutrino got their show, that show that I never thought anybody would give a fuck about, but it's, it kept drawing crowds. People, because it was like genuine and cool and new. and. So anyway, that got on the radar of Aspen. The HBO Comedy Festival used to oh, be in wow. Aspen. And we got booked in Aspen.
1: With Neutrino. Your, your one-man show or Neutrino? No, Neutrino did. Wow. With this
3: improvised movie form that we did as a fuck around. Right. So, and that got us a lot of street cred because all of a sudden Aspen was all about sketch and up, and all, and they were trying to figure out how to crack the code on an improv team. And we were, I think us and UCB at that point were the only people that had ever been as improvisers invited to perform. So that helped a lot. So we get scouted from Aspen and invited to play our show in Edinburgh, the fringe and meanwhile i have this one man show it's kind of doing well so and i'm kind of the i'm the alpha male of neutrino i'm helping them organize the fringe trip for us so i'm talking to this theater director and say hey if you're looking for other you know slots i got this one man show it's doing pretty good would you be interested in considering this so i ran my one man show at the same time neutrino was running their show and what helped me over the French, by this time, my one man show had been running for like two, two and a half years. It's tight. It's a good show. Right. Neutrino is an improv show. It's like a fucking grab bag of who knows what it's going to be each night. <laughs> yeah. And most of the time, it's shitty. You know, it's <laughs> like that's the reality of improv. Well, yeah. I, I believe that ninety percent of improv is shit, but and ten percent is actually somewhat good.
1: But that's because you see the good shows. Like I remember doing a show with Joe Canale and walking away from it just like I like ashamed of myself. Oh really? <laughs> and I walk out and my 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 buddy was a crossfit like just a crossfit guy that I know that came to the show and was like How do you guys do that? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. so good. Yeah. Yeah. So in your head, you say 90% of your shows were shitty, but that's just not true.
3: Yeah, I think it was entertaining. But, yeah, you you know, just like anything, you start to, you know, the curtain gets pulled back. You see the machine. You know how the machine works. You know how it feels when it works well. And, yes, you're absolutely right. To a general audience, they're like, oh, it's kind of a fun show. For us, each night, we come off and go, oh, man, that beat, that second beat was shit. Right. Cheap and fucking (laughs) not smart at all.
1: But those are the, uh, I'm the king of cheap and not smart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So anyway, uh, when I do the Fringe, I do the one-man show. The one-man show does well. uh, The Fringe is a lot about reviews. The instant, Mm -hmm. you know, if you get a good review, you're made. And I got a five-star review. From one of the papers. In, in Edinburgh?
0: In, in Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Can you explain for the a little show. bit about the – I don't know if – I know a little bit about it because I had a friend that had a one-man show. At Joseph, who's on my uh, improv team now. But yeah. for the people who don't know, could you explain a little bit so more So it? it
3: is a free market society over there. So if you're willing to put up a show and rent a space and a theater director is willing to give you a slot, you can go to the Fringe.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Now it's up to you to actually make money. And that's the hard part. So because you're competing against a fucking town full of shows for a month that run from morning to night. And there is a limited audience that only wants to see good shows. So if you don't have a good show, it's going to be really hard to recoup your money. But if you want to go over there with the idea, I just want to do the fringe, you can lose money and you can go. So the trick is to go over there. Like 10 grand too, right? It's not cheap. Yeah, you you can lose thousands of dollars. Because you're renting the space from the theater. How many theaters are there? Are there hundreds of it, theaters? It, I don't know what it is now. I went there in oh five, I think, and there was probably 100 theater spaces. Oh, shit.
0: Somewhere. Hannibal is,
1: Burris just did a show there is it is it just That's like known
0: is with. this place in Scotland Edinburgh is it just known for when how long has this been going on
3: it's been going on when I was there it have been going on probably 20 30 years maybe so it's just built kind of like how just for laughs is and yeah it takes these... over this town right uh, okay. for the for the month I think it's in August roughly uh, for whatever month it does it that is what's going on in town gotcha. so you go through any of the tourists places in Edinburgh and it is like 101 different comedians handing you postcards and trying to figure out a way to get you to their show. Yeah. So one of the ways that you can get a show to do well there is to get a good review in the paper. Because if I'm a patron, I just want to see a good show. I open up the paper. I want to see what the reviews are. I'm looking for the five-star reviews. And that tells me, oh, that's a good show. I can put down 10 bucks and watch that show tonight because mm-hmm. I don't
0: know anything about this fucking show mm-hmm. except what this review says. Do they have review people from the fringe like board or whatever that do the reviews, or are they independent reviews? No, they're
3: independent journalists. Okay. So that, that's what they do is they just go to shows and review them. Yeah. And part of what helps you from an American standpoint going over there, if you have – we already had a little bit of buzz because of Aspen, right? Right. So that trickles down to the journalists. Of, like, hey, this American show did pretty good at Aspen. It's a
0: pretty cool show. You probably want to check it out. That helps right off the bat. Right. So you didn't have to go and, and like, hustle to get people to come or journalists to come to your show. They already kind of had an idea. That and we paid a publicist. Oh, okay. Uh, That was part of the, (laughs) yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a
3: money, you know, it's free enterprise. So if you've got a lot of money, you're going to build up a crowd because you're just throwing money at shit. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean you're going to get you get back. that money back. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how the fringe works. Hmm. Is, Did you get your money back? Uh on my one man show I made money. The neutrino show lost money.
1: Oh, it sucks.
3: Yeah. It sucks. We took a we took a calculated well, I mean, risk. Well, congratulations that your show made that your show yeah. made money, but still it sucks that Neutrino. And congratulations to Neutrino. Yeah. I uh, you know, I still feel very proud of that because we took a calculated risk. We were at a moment in time where we got uh, a really good theater at the Fringe, a couple of good theaters that wanted to book us. Mm-hmm. And we're pitching main stage, main slot shows. We've never been to the Fringe. People don't know us from Adam, but we're getting pretty good offers. The trade-off is if you play a big room, you got you got to put butts in the seats right. to make your minimum so you don't lose money. We took a calculated risk. We could have played a smaller room. In hindsight, we think we should have. Because we were unknown and it would have helped our vibe, but we played a bigger room, a main slot. We're competing against stand ups that have been at the fringe for ten years straight. They're UK celebrities, and we're like an improv show. Right. And so we paid the price. We had some shows where we, well, I think we were paying like a, playing a five hundred seat theater. Jeez, you know, every night. I think it was it was either two fifty or five hundred a night that we were trying to fill in a big, you know, kind of. Auditorium Man, space. you can't
1: even. I can't even feel like a clubhouse show. Yeah, seventeen people. It's hard. Yeah.
3: Now, one of the guys I mentioned earlier, Kurt Bronholder, who's on Neutrino, is the improv improv guy. At that point, then he, in the aftermath of Neutrino, kind of disbanding and us doing our own things, and that's where I find my my sketch guy that I do. Oh, right, one uh, two person sketch with. He starts hooking up with Kristen Shaw and he becomes a thing on his own, doing sketch with Kristen. Uh. He becomes a stand up. He goes back to the Fringe. And they are, they do two weeks and sell out Wow mm. so he had you know a different experience first time there he can't get anybody to a show. next time he comes back he's
0: one of the rock stars that's cool mm. so so did anything so um, did anything come out of you during the fringe in terms of like did I, I don't typically I know I know you people do it I'm assuming comedians do it because they want to get exposure. So people can kind of see their voice and see their comedy, right?
3: It helped. You know, I was already over there for Neutrino. I was all in with Neutrino. So I went over there largely for them. And then while I was there, did the one-man show. So I got an offer. And this is kind of one regret out of that whole experience. I got an offer. In the aftermath of the Fringe, there will be West End producers out of London who will look for a Best of Fringe showcase. Oh, yeah. And I got offered to put up my show post the fringe as part of one of those showcases. And it would have been cool to, to at least it's like playing Broadway, you know, it's like, Oh, I could have played the West end, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't cause it would have prolonged my, I was married. You know, I want to get back home. It really didn't, didn't benefit me. I wasn't going to make a lot of money. I'd already done my thing. So I said no to it, but you know, I was like, Oh fuck, I could have played the West end. Yeah, That's cool. You know, <laughs> but that, that was the aftermath of it. Yeah and neutrino we got we lost money on that deal and one of the the theater director came back to us and wanted to book us again Mm -hmm. for the next year because you know part of that is just the war of attrition of like you build up after a while people start to say oh i remember these guys and start to come to your show yeah uh but at that point the the majority of neutrinos like that's the last fucking thing i want to do is go back and lose more thousands of dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so it's so, no.
0: over there yeah. I, I didn't know how much does it cost to book a theater i mean it's it's funny because here we we pay it's pretty 60 bucks yeah 60 <laughs> yeah. bucks for what that's hour? the main stage 45 for the cheap one yeah, for, yeah. i think it's on shitty nights it's 30 Really? Yeah. I think I have a show there where well, we stopped doing it but it was called The Dice is right. It was thirty bucks for an hour and a half or something. Oh wow. It was cheap. That's not bad. You now
3: know. here's where it gets compounded. This is where it adds up. You're doing a month of shows. Right. You're doing thirty shows in a month. Roughly. You have a couple of nights off in the fringe. Right. So you're taking thirty nights or thirty bucks a night times thirty. Mhm. You know, and so that's nine hundred bucks roughly, right. right? Right. So that's what you gotta just in that setting, you got to come up with that, right?
1: So that's ninety seats, right? 30 bucks. Is it thirty bucks for 30 space, bucks, whatever, oh, space, oh, whatever the seat is. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. you got to make
3: you got to make thirty bucks a night to pay for it. You know. So have thirty you, nights in a row.
0: Have you done yeah. any other um, uh, uh, one man shows that you then kind of put up and toured with and did, or not toured with, but did for a longer run? Because you said you did this one for what two years?
3: Yeah, I did that for I don't know how long. It felt Felt like three years or something. I remember uh, when I, (laughs) I remember one of the last times I performed it, I was like, thank God it's over because again, I just wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. That's how this thing started. (laughs) And it was draining because it was fucking, it wasn't funny. It was like soul uh, exposing, you know. So by the time I got done with it, I was like, you know what? I just want to be a fucking goof around again. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm tired of like, Showing people my scars. So that was a good thing. So the the two other main shows that I've done is one, this kid show that I called uh, The Manny Diaries. It's when I, I have lived all over the place because of life and jobs. But I spent two years in Chicago and did that show there while I was raising these kids just as an exercise. I, I spent a year, and this is a good writing exercise, I think, is because I was like – Trapped, quote unquote, raising my kids. My wife was a businesswoman; I was the stay-at-home dad. So I used it as a writing exercise, so to keep myself sane. I devoted a year to just vlogging about whatever the fuck struck me as odd every about day, as best I could. I did 186 videos in 365 days. Oh,
1: vlogging!
3: Yeah. Oh wow. That's so even I would harder. shoot with my little webcam. If I was sitting at home with my kids, you know, I if something occurred to me as kind of a funny idea. I would literally take my little Mac laptop, you know, and that's what I used in my camera, and I got good at shooting it, and then I would edit that together, and I would uh, post it on a Facebook page.
2: Mm.
3: And the whole idea of that was to document it just for my own sanity and to have it as kind of a keepsake. But also, I figured I was going to use best of moments from those videos and build a one man show out of it, and that's what I did.
1: Oh, that's cool.
3: So then, and that's the show that I felt like, wow, it was a good show. Because it was it was genuine stories about the journey of like, holy fuck, I'm a father of three kids. And the, the, just this, this journey that I was going on. And then I had these videos that captured the craziness that I would show as examples. Kind of my best of videos. Mm. They kind of broke up the pace of it. It was kind of a nice... Show yeah. you keep
1: using the word journey when you refer to comedy. Is that sort of how you view comedy? Like you view one man shows and you view improv sets. Do you sort of view that? At, like I just noticed that you keep using that word. Is, is, uh, is that a is that conscious? Do you think? Do you think that that's how you view a show? Like you're going on a journey? Yeah,
3: I think you know. To me, uh, the reoccurring theme in all my professional life is storyteller. That's what I do. That's what I do. So TV news, I was a storyteller. The current gig I'm doing in the corporate world is content creation it's storytelling basically when I was a comedian improv the thing I loved about improv is you're telling a story a Herald is a you know it's a series of stories you're going from here to like take me on an arc TJ and Dave yeah they tell stories
1: so that TJ and Dave is an old school uh, improv team that is phenomenal phenomenal yeah phenomenal they've got to exist online I'm sure they. yeah well they have a documentary made about them yeah They're great. Called Trust Us, This Is All Made Up. That's my one beef. They don't get a suggestion. So how do we know they didn't write it? Oh, right, yeah. There's probably some cheating going on. I'm sure there is.
3: But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, to me, this was part of my frustration as I got more and more involved in the UCB and the approach that I learned. That my first approach to comedy was through UCB. And one of their adages, and, you know, I know this is heresy for anybody who's out there who's like a hardcore UCB person, is they would say, you know, improv is an art. And uh, we're not here just to be jokers. We're here as artists. The reason I had trouble with that is because most nights when I looked up on stage, we were, we were, we were just trying to make people laugh. There was no
1: art in it. Uh, At least in my estimation. I feel like it's changed because now I've had this conversation with quite a few teachers um, about – like there's something that feels masturbatorial about saying that improv is art. Yeah. Because it's just like – then it's not about the audience anymore. It's about you. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you say, hey – like it's improv comedy, yeah. So at the bare minimum, we should be—we're promising them we'll make them laugh. We're yeah. promising the audience we're going to make them laugh. So when you start treating it as like this precious art form, I know.
0: Well, that's weird yeah. because yeah. Did, who did we have on? I don't know if we had on someone where we were talking James. about. Was it James? James Mastriani and me have had that conversation a billion times. Well, was it that we talked about Besser asked? Yeah, it was James. Where Besser asked, they were doing like one of at sunset. They have sometime where he Besser would put on workshops. And he asked, I guess, the Herald teams like, why do you do improv? People were being, like, for the art, whatever. And then he said, "Um, you guys don't want to make people laugh? Like, (laughs) like that was – that's what he – no one had said, well, we just want to make people laugh. Yeah. So that's kind of – it's But yeah, also it's it makes mixed sense messages yeah. Confusing, yeah. But Del Close I mean because that was Sort of the
1: thing Del Close And that back then It was an art form right And it slowly yeah. sort of Changed well, and... I would
3: love talking to Joe Canale We mentioned Joe Canale earlier. Yeah I love talking to him Because he actually Got taught by Del Close At points yeah. I think And Joe, Yeah he did Mike did not but Mike did not but anyway, Joe, I love when he says he's. Busy. Let's acknowledge Del Close was a fucking drug addict. <laughs> you know, it, 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 you know, when we put him up on a pedestal, it, he said some brilliant stuff. He said some great things, but he was also fucking out there, right? And if I say enough bullshit. You know, periodically <laughs> I'm going to say something. It's like, ah,
0: oh, that's kind of that's, – that's a Yeah, plot. that's science t- Scientology. Yeah. Right, There's right. a lot of that going on. So yeah.
3: that's the way I feel about Del Close. And that, it, that whole thing rubbed me wrong too when I was at UCB. Just the idolatry of this guy. I'm like, fucking – that's fine, man. It, it, I, I, wrap your hands around. It. I think it's cool, the, some of the concepts of what he – but let's also acknowledge he's a fucked up human being. Yeah, but, right. Um, Did you take classes ever out here in L.A.? Not UCB classes. Not UCB. Groundlings, though, right? Yeah, took groundlings. My favorite, I, you know, total improv nerd. i backed off in recent years. I've kind of retired for the most part. But I, when I was in Chicago, I went through Second City Conservatory, and that was my favorite approach. Yeah. I love that
1: because... that's interesting. You're like the second or third person that said that.
3: Yeah. 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 I liked it because generally their approach is let's comment on what's going on in the world. Let's use comedy as a vehicle to comment on what's going on in the world. And... To me, that was like ah, that I I like that, that's a cool thing that we can do as comedians and as
0: a broadcaster. That's kind of yeah. Yeah. as yeah, well. that makes
3: yeah. a lot of sense to me yeah. that you would like that. Yeah. And improvising to beats, you know that that, that mm-hmm. was they improvise, but it's improvising to beats. There there's some thought out structure to their improv sets and their sketch shows. Mm-hmm. That I learned by going to yeah. their conservatory. So it isn't you know it isn't this. Completely, we're making it up as we go along. No, they go backstage. They say this would be kind of funny. Let's go there. Yeah. So that took some of the weight off the UCB. uh, At least back when I was there, it was like it was heresy to even say, "Let's think about what we're going to do
1: before we do it." Yeah. Like we make jokes about it and stuff, but but then again, like who's good? If you write, if you ever, if you ever go backstage and write blowjob machine, then like you probably should stop. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, cause that's yeah. what a lot of improv I see is, is like, Hey, well, make, like Frank, or actually, you know what? Now the funny thing is I use that as an example, but that was actually Besser. They initiated that during an ask at one time, he made Matt Walsh, a blowjob machine, like a blowjob robot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And if you you know, it's just funny to me. Like if you go write that, like you'd probably should, like, that's fine for an improv scene, but if you took the time to write that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can yeah. do better. Yeah. <laughs> How, yeah.
0: I I guess what I really want to get to is I wonder how much different classes now are at UCB. I mean, one, they're taught by different people. Well, they're taught by the
1: same people. Oh, you think so? Jess Eason-Allen, who is in Neutrino, Uh, is a teacher at UCB now. Yeah. Yeah. Will Hines is a teacher at UCB now. Gethard was a teacher at UCB for a long time. So that generation is teaching
0: it. Yeah, but I'm talking about... But it's evolved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the style of... Yeah, uh, because you you taught, or you were on, Amy Poehler taught you. Yeah, Amy Poehler was my level four teacher. She was great. Yeah, Yeah, you know,
3: I I don't know what they teach now. I can tell you what their core principles were when I came through was all about game Mm -hmm. and defining what the game is. It's a very Matt Besser approach to improv, and it works for him, I guess, but it doesn't work for everybody. And it was very much like find what's funny and then heighten it. That's basically the game. right? Uh, like the first unusual thing, it's kind of strikes you as funny, find that thing and then heighten it. But it became this very convoluted, very complicated thing where even years into the process, I we would look at each other in moments of honesty. I was like, I don't know. Do you know what the fucking game is?
2: <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah
3: I yeah. really still don't understand it necessarily. Um, with hey. the groundlings, you know, cause I went through their classes till I couldn't go anymore. And then the second city, I, it was much more tangible. There was an approach
0: that I responded to more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I understood it better. Did um, um I guess yeah. The, the because because UCB came out of I O right? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, I yeah. Correct. I, I'm just curious on like the evolution of coming out of I O. Well, I O came out of Second City. Yeah, right. And so UCB came out of I O, but so like Besser's approach was was game around before. U C B came into the mix and did there were, Besser like
3: call it did he define I think it?
1: they just gave the definitions,
0: yeah. Yeah, it
3: was right. his it was his take on what he was doing as an improviser. Right. And what he was being taught by Del Close and all the power be at Chicago. Right. That was his way of d- defining improv for him and that's became their curriculum. In my Once head game, I've
1: always thought of be- and maybe this is totally wrong, you would know way better than I would. I don't know why I'm even interrupting. Uh, I always think of Matt Besser as the Martin Luther of I io's know. catholic church where he took everything he liked about him but then sort of was like the bastard child that talked a bunch of shit and like created his own kind of thing taking the stuff he loved from io but also getting rid of the stuff he didn't like yeah. like i've never seen an organic transition um at a ucb show and it almost feels like they teach organic open just so you just so you know what they are, so you can mock them. Like it does. I've never seen an actual, except for maybe uh,
0: Cardinal Redbird. That's funny that you bring that up. That's kind of how all the kind of sects of Christianity are, right? Like they just took kind of pick and choose. Yeah, just kind yeah, of pick like and baptism yeah. versus you know being a Lutheran, being yeah, Catholic. It, it, Catholic. It, yeah, you all believe in the same God. It's just. Just, nah, just, you guys just, are dumb. Yeah, right. just, you guys are, don't <laughs> eat fish on Friday. Rules. and that's what kind of what I was driving at is the game has always been around like that struck that paradigm of of what you think is funny and then just kind of playing that people have done that at IO I'm sure for years. Right. You know, but it was like,
3: probably never labeled. It was never labeled. The it was game. labeled that way and defined right. in such this specific way.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
3: uh, it's almost like an A plus B equals C type of approach to it. Right. Um, I remember one of the class at UCB, Ian Roberts gave us a list of like do's and don'ts right. one of the first days of class. And he was talking about, he was kind of shaking his head as his own curriculum because he said, Yeah, Bill Murray is quoted as saying, basically, if anybody tells you there's rules in improv, run the other way. And here he was giving us a, a page of rules, basically <laughs> yeah. saying, Don't shoot people, you know, don't, you know, don't <laughs> deny them, you know, all that, the basic stuff.
1: Right, yeah. Um, I got so, really mad at a teacher for telling me, for correcting me um, when I did a trans a transaction scene, like yeah. maybe like a like six months ago. I was like, I got very yeah. upset. Fuck I don't know that. why. Yeah, like, I, what do you mean? I can I can do a goddamn transaction scene if I you want to. You can do them.
0: Like, I one I had Eugene Cordero, and he was such a great teacher. He had he had told us, he's like, hey, we give you these rules because it's like just just learn them. Because you're you're not good at this, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and this was a 401 class, and he was like, "You're not good at this yet. You might think you are, but you're really not that great at it. So, just we give you these to kind of be like, don't do that until you get good enough. Yeah. Then you can fucking say fuck all the rules, do whatever you want. Yeah, I like you know? that. Yeah, but you want just, to give you good habits, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And did, I guess that, Tweety's not good enough to do a transaction. I mean, I guess not. <laughs> I a, don't know when I'm gonna get good at improv. I've been doing it for. One of, the, so long. <laughs> one of the Groundlings' uh,
3: principles that really I responded to, too, is talking about the, you know one of their teaching principles is I want to increase the odds of success. That that's basically what they're trying to do is yeah. increase the odds of you having a successful scene. So that you know that's kind of a yeah. way to view the the rules and mm-hmm. the the problem I have with UCB is it was an edict of like this this will result in a sucky scene. Mm-hmm. This yeah. will result in bad
1: comedy yes it's very and that's where I had a problem I was you're like yeah.
3: no no I don't think it will yeah
1: I know exactly what you're saying yeah. um I could literally sit here and talk to you for two more hours okay because yeah. let's do it yeah <laughs> it's so easy I, I can't believe I've known you for four or five years now yeah and I we've never had this it, like most of this conversation is the first time I'm hearing it I could oh. do this all night so this is great Cool, but well, I hope the people listening. feel the I same know, night. I hope so too. <laughs> all, but yeah. I we do, I do try to we do try to keep things um under a certain time length. Yeah, so maybe we'll have you on again and finish some of this stuff. Yeah. But before we go, I do really want you to read a sketch from a fan. Oh, of the show yeah, let's that do is. Where are we since, at right now? We're at an hour eleven. Yeah, we can probably do it. Yeah, I'll yeah. make quick notes. Yeah, yeah. The idea is read the read we'll,
3: the sketch. We'll, and, we'll read
1: it out loud. Um, yeah. we'll we'll. Cast it, we'll read it, and then we'll just sort of note it and give them feedback on how you think they could go with it. Yeah. Um, I think that anybody would be stoked to have someone who was a correspondent on The Daily Show give them notes on their sketch. Cool. Yeah, let's do I'm, it. So, I'm bummed. It's I know. Not our sketch. I know, right? Our <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, let's do that. Hey, okay. So, this sketch is from a fan of the show named uh, Bradley Layden.
0: Thanks, He's, Bradley. Yeah, thanks, Brad, yeah. for
1: sending it in. If anybody else wants to send in a sketch for us to read, we've got a couple uh, in the queue right now. Mm-hmm. we uh, got a
0: lot since. Yeah, since since... <laughs> since you guys made
1: fun of me for saying we didn't have any. We've actually – yeah. and I'm not just doing a bit. We really do have some now. We really? Um, so you can send your sketches for us to read at uh, foopod, F-O-O-W-P-O-D, at Gmail dot com. Yeah.
0: Don't send. Someone sent. I don't know who it was. Eleven page. Yeah. An eleven narrative. page Like short play. And yeah, uh, we're not gonna read that. We're not
1: just because it's eleven pages. But Keep it um, four pages. Five. Yeah. Four or five pages. Four I, pages. Four pages. Most sketches should be four pages. Four Do you pages. agree with that, Bob? Sure. Depending on what you're writing for.
3: Yeah. yeah. I okay. mean, it depends. But yeah, that's a good. It's rule a good of thumb. number rule. Of thumb. Yeah, I like that. Or for okay. FoodPod,
0: if it's anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just for our time's sake. For time's sake. You yeah. figure a
1: minute a page. Yeah. 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 So um but yeah, other than that, great. This is dope. Uh so Guilt Bit by Bradley Layden Uh uh Bob is going to read Barry. Mm-hmm. You're gonna read Anne You're Jeremiah right. and I'll read Bit is the
0: character's name. I'll read Stage. Okay as well. Great. Okay. Interior setting. Man is sitting on a chair as his girlfriend enters stage left. Hey Barry. Hi Ann, how's it going, sweetie? I'm great. I'm worried about you though. What do you mean? Well, you remember your New Year's resolution. Uh, yeah, I, I promised I'd lose 20
3: pounds. And how's that going? I've gained five. Barry!
0: I know, Annie, I know. It's it's so hard to stay on track, though. You've been struggling, I understand. It's okay. I got you something that should help. What's this, A a Fitbit? I already had one of those. No, no, this is way better. It's called a guilt bit. A what? A gill bit. And what makes this so special? Well, it's got AI and full interactive voice commands. I've already set it up for you. Try it on, Barry. Barry straps on the watch. There's a beep sound, and it speaks to him.
1: Hello, Barry. Whoa, it knows me?
0: Unbelievable.
1: Barry, the only thing unbelievable is your body fat percentage. We have a lot of work to do. Did this thing just call me fat? Technically, I called you clinically obese, Barry,
0: which you are. Hey! <laughs> Just relax, Barry. I know it comes on a bit strong, but that's what you need, baby. This is going to help you get fit. Can you do this for me? Oh, sure, honey. I'll try it. Lights out briefly. Lights up on Barry. Sitting down, pulling a burger out of a takeout bag.
1: Barry? What? Judging by the angle of your wrist and the weight shift, that is a triple Baconator, correct? <laughs> <sighs> yes, bud. It's a Baconator. So... So is that really what you want? 1,300 grease-coated calories. I have been programmed to feel very disappointed in you, Barry. What would Anne say? I can dial her right now on your phone. We should ask her. No,
3: no, please. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, You're right. Thank you, guilt guilt bit.
0: Barry looks down at the burger longingly before sighing and throwing it in the trash trash (sighs) can. Lights out briefly. Lights up on Barry jogging. He stops exhausted and leans over to catch his breath.
1: (sighs) Barry, we stopped. Why did we stop, Barry?
0: Bit, I
3: uh, just,
1: oh God, I, I can't, I can't breathe. I I just ran 6K, please no more. Yes, Barry, you have run 6 kilometers, but your target for today is 8 kilometers, Barry. Uh, my legs are jello, I, I can't, I can't, uh, please stop, it. No, Barry, you need to stop. Stop your whining, stop making excuses, stop being a fat, lazy, useless lump of lard, Barry. Now run.
0: Ah! Barry screams in frustration, but slowly rises to his feet and keeps running. Brief lights out, lights up on Barry sitting, and Anne enters. Hey, babe, is the guilt bit working now? It's been really tough. Uh, this thing is merciless, but uh,
3: I did lose ten pounds this week. Actually, I, uh, I actually just finished a workout. and Barry is lying to you. Bitch, shut up. <laughs> Anne, baby, don't listen to it. I, I totally did. Uh huh. So what were you doing? Barry, I'm that's what it I was using one of those uh, shake weight things
1: for like 20 minutes. Tell her, bit. You cannot lie to me, Barry. You do not own a shake weight. You were clearly masturbating.
0: Anne takes a disgusted step back. What? No.
1: <laughs> no.
0: No. 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 Anne, it's lying. Come on, baby, please. You promised me you'd stop, Barry. I can't believe you touched yourself with that guilt bit on. I'm so grossed out.
1: If I could emote, I would also be grossed out. You have let both of us
0: down, Barry. You are so worthless. Since you like your alone time so much, I'm just going to leave. Goodbye, Barry. And wait! Barry,
1: you never deserved her in the first place. Now go drink some water, you pathetic weeping. Your pathetic weeping is dehydrating you.
0: Nice. Finn. They wrote Finn. Yes. Also, this would be like a seven-page sketch if it was in like sketch format. Uh, so yeah. how yeah. wide these are. Yeah, that,
1: that is true.
3: Yeah.
0: But well done, Bradley. You got yeah, it on Bradley. the page, man. Hey, man. You
3: got yeah. it on the page. Yeah,
1: and that's the first step.
3: Yeah. That's it. That's the hardest part. Yep. So my first thoughts on this are a couple of UCB uh, principles that apply to uh, sketch, in my opinion, that are good uh, sketch principles. Uh, if that, then what is a question I would ask yourself on this one and really push the envelope. Some of these, uh, you know, you set up the principle pretty quickly. It's a guilt bit. Yeah. Uh, I kind of know where you're going.
1: Do you, uh, Let me uh, on that, so uh, blow it out. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you think that, so it looks like the first time you really, you get the name guilt bit in, I think fairly quick, maybe
0: not. It's page two, but you should get that out. Yeah, start page. start in the middle. Yeah. 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 Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, build-up. Yeah, know? don't right. need it. You okay. could just have them already be like, why do I have to wear this guilt yeah. bit? Because you promised me you'd lose 20 pounds. Yeah. Boom, and then just, yeah. you're into it. you got your first
1: it. game move, basically, right. middle of page one. Yep. Yeah. Some
3: I, uh, credit to the groundlings, today is the day. You know, mm. that's an yeah. adage, too. Like, why is today important? Why are we watching this? So, heighten it out. What? Yeah. What's the big deal with this guilt bit? Mm-hmm start you need in the, middle. the preamble Yeah, of it, right yeah uh, you know if anything here and maybe it's just a former tv news guy in me and this is how my brain works comedy wise but i almost i want to reshape this as a infomercial parody
1: i was thinking something very similar or something now i i don't I, I think it can work this way yeah but i was thinking the same exact thing like this would be a very fun
3: 60 second you know or something 2 minute
1: as a video yeah yeah Mm-hmm. yeah on yeah. stage on stage you almost have to do it like a setup like this like yeah. if this is for like a sketch on stage because
3: yeah. mm-hmm. the the relationship is secondary to you're just making a series of jokes of what kind of guilt this bit is running at this guy mm-hmm. so it's just it's a series of jokes basically mm-hmm. the, yeah, the relationship secondary to it and they don't
1: really heighten maybe it feels yeah, like they're very well, linear
3: that's what i'm saying it's like yeah blow it out and see I'll, what happens
0: by blowing it out do you have are there yeah. any
1: I know that's kind of putting everybody on the spot, but do you guys have any like joke pitches of where it could heighten to? I don't. uh,
0: Well, I I don't know about jokes, but I would say like I would get Uh, to the point to where the bit or the guilt bit is like he knows he knows Barry. It's almost like that. Did you ever see the South Park episode with the shakeaway? No. So um, Stan's wife has a -a shakeaway, and the shakeaway talks and like he learns her like he becomes familiar with her like they have an intimate relationship oh, wow. like i would like to see for this i was like oh this is funny this this fitbit is going to really like know his ins and outs know everything about him like intimate details that he might not even know like if yeah. he knows that He's lying. Like, what else does this Fitbit? Is he all knowing? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, like omnipotent. Right. Yeah,
3: I almost want different layers of guilt rather yeah, than just being the same thing, yeah. uh, his weight and a, and sex jokes. It is there are different layers of guilt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, just ask yourself what are some fun real shit that people get guilty about? Yeah, and have this like thing lying to your out.
1: girlfriend. Yeah,
3: right. and how do you make and
1: making people feel guilt too? There's different.
3: Yeah, like he yeah. cheated the red light. You cheated the red light a little bit, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just little shit like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that that may not be the best example, but stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I know what you're saying where it's like, wow, you're really getting into my guilt,
1: like texting while you're driving.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, you, yeah, you just back in seventh grade, you fucking, you gave, (laughs) you didn't sit next to Charlie at lunch yeah he, he really looked up to you yeah you know
1: like yeah. it starts on it starts on fitness but it actually ends on like just going after like things like it's not even about weight anymore <laughs> <Stuff> that <laughs> makes you cringe
0: like right, at night right. that you yeah. think about in your
1: past right yeah, right. Like, yeah. i can't believe i did that why did you funny. play with your asshole yeah why
3: did you play with your asshole where you took the shit yeah. last night <laughs> why did you do that yeah.
0: you wiped your ass for way too long yeah. i know what you're doing right I wonder if, too, like, Barry, he he always, or at least for this, he downplays it a little bit. Like, he, I feel like he should get some emotional, like, some, like, or else why wouldn't he just take the fucking, fucking guilt bit off? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. but if he has some type of, like, emotional investment now with this thing, like, you, you kind of break it up to where oh, it's, yeah. like, you know, lights down, lights up, which is if you're doing this on stage, that's sometimes difficult. Because when you go blackout, people immediately think the sketch is done and you, try to you have, yeah. we, I had That's a good pre- donkey yeah. car,
1: which we read on this, like in one of the first five or six weeks, right. with I think Voss, the right. Voss episode. Uh, we actually ran into that problem because it's all a series of blackout lights up, blackout uh, lights yeah. up. Right. And so they didn't know when was the end. <laughs> yeah. So what we had to do...
0: Blue light or some other light.
1: Too. Oh, what we did was we put transition music during it.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah. you could
1: do some sort of, to beat that thing, you could do some sort of like bleep, blurp, blur blur, bleep. I don't know. That's probably not the right thing. Yeah. yeah. So something get the point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. yeah. yeah. No, that's good. But yeah, outside of that, like just having Barry, because there's a couple of times where he is like, What? bit or like what no that's not mean like he he never just like fesses up just have him to me like an nb it would be funny if barry goes yeah yeah ba- oh you think you know me so well yeah i, I touch. you know whatever the yeah. whatever now the guilt the three beats of guilt that you just did yeah you can kind of acknowledge like it so almost straight man yeah, it a little bit yeah and then kind of somehow emotionally heighten whatever frustration or whatever you know
3: also i think in this a little bit of an improv exercise is you know any good sketch to me even in a short amount of time has surprises so surprise yourself make your challenge yourself to do something in the sketch that you've got to justify yeah so great yeah uh and i like what you were saying earlier maybe this guy throws out the bit Mm -hmm. he he gets it he realized oh it's going to give me guilt so i fucking throw it out but it, it it finds a way to come back in, <laughs> or maybe he throws
1: it out the bedroom window, and he can just hear it in the bushes all night while he's trying to sleep. Like, yeah. why'd you throw? Why'd you right, throw me right. out, Barry? I feel Barry. You, can
0: you feel guilty. You can feel guilty about getting rid of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then you can even have like a long... <laughs> you can
3: do a time lapse ten years <laughs> yeah. later. You know this yeah. fucking
0: guilt yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know he's it's back in
3: my
1: life. It. That's great. Yeah. That's really funny.
0: It's a funny premise though. It's a funny yeah, that's, I really like yeah. the premise. It's it's I. I would, yeah, I mean, my brain immediately goes to, yeah, like, if this is true, if this is what this Fitbit does, like, like I almost want the Fitbit to have, like, a personality change as well as oh, this guy yeah. evolves, like he evolves, with it gets it. smarter and yeah, smarter. It gets smarter, and it kind of has yeah, that, a, a voice.
3: If you go with the, I mean, there's a lot of different directions you can obviously go in our mm-hmm. little brainstorming here, but if you go the infomercial route or a parody, mm-hmm. you know, you can think of what are different variations of the guilt pit theme, right? Like, and, oh, and different if you people, like,
1: that. like you can program it to different voices, so maybe ah, it's like yeah, a mom yeah. voice, yeah. Your, your girlfriend. Your oh, um, the, it
0: uses the voice that triggers your guilt. Yeah, most. whatever <laughs> right. that is. You're like a <laughs> child. Right, Yoda. that's fucked up. Right yeah. there. like that. That's a funny beat right there. It'd Be like, why do you sound different? Be like, I've learned that uh your mother gives you the most guilt. <laughs> yeah. <so>. yeah, right. <laughs> like, no, I don't want you to sound like my mom. Right. Too late. Or, yeah, I don't know why. Just did it a robot. Just, it's too late yeah. as her. But,
1: it just yeah. goes nuts. That's yeah. that's pretty funny. Um, there's something else you said I wanted to jump on too. Uh, I hate when that happens. Get to a commercial. Surprise yourself. Surprise. Oh, yes. Push it. So I can't remember who brought this up, or maybe they didn't. I've just heard it a million times, but I think maybe Will Hines or Mark Rennie or somebody said this, um, is that if you make a list – some people make lists for sketches, some people don't. I do for some, some I don't. the first three or four ideas you have of ways to heighten it are probably going to be pretty predictable. Yeah. But if you make a list of like twenty ways to heighten this sketch, yeah. those last five are going to be batshit crazy. Yeah. And those are probably the ones you want to use. Your last yeah. beats. Or- yeah. yeah at, least at least one, one, of, one of those. those. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah. At the very least, I like that as a punch-up exercise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like don't edit yourself. You got. You've got to come up with twenty ways to different this. jokes of this, and you've got to. Do it without thinking.
1: Yeah, Mastriana used to make us do that uh, as an improv exercise, where he would just give us a word, like, um, uh, like two words, like a like a two word thing, like um, jumbo rocket, right? And then the next person would have to go like, jumbo's like a. Let me think of a. That's such a hard thing to do on your own. (laughs) Jumbo rocket, uh, superior rocket, and then by the end of it, you just have to keep heightening that one word. And then t- towards the end of it, it's like, it's as big as the moon rocket. Like you know what oh, I mean? Like right. yeah. it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. if you can find a way to do that kind of a thing where you just blow out that one idea until it's almost bonkers, crazy. Yeah. Somewhere in there, you're gonna have a couple good. You'll opinions. surprise yourself and your audience.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. It's good. And some of them will be. You know, when you do a list of 20, they're going to be... Some bad ones. Some Some duds. yeah. Yeah, But, you know, it's weird. It's a weird exercise, and I would encourage people to do it because I learned a lot by doing that. I don't Mm -hmm. do it as much anymore because I think, like, the more you... I mean, I I should. It's just I have my own voice that I think I, like, have toned in, you know, hacked into, so I kind of know, like, where I want to take things. But when I do get stuck on occasion, I'll do that list, and it's just like... Some of there'll be some that'll just make me laugh. Like, I'll do ones that just make me laugh. I have no clue where they're coming from. They don't make any sense. Yeah. You know, I know I'm not going to use them, but it's like it gets you your head thinking, oh, if that that that'll lead to something else that then might suit the sketch better.
3: We mentioned that sketch earlier, the toast. You said you're going to put a a link of it. Yeah. The toast is a perfect example of that. You think it's going somewhere. This exercise is just like bat shit crazy. (laughs) Bat shit crazy.
1: Full commitment.
3: That's great. You don't know that it would ever go to where it goes. That's
1: great. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Um, so great. Um, also, just one thing we Jeremiah sort of touched on in the beginning. I think it's really. I'm. It feels to me, and maybe I'm wrong, that this is written in sketch, a sketch format, but in like a
0: Word document. Yeah, it's weird. It's not typically in. And when you write in Final Draft or write a duet, um, it'll have you know it's what maybe four words a wide what i mean like yeah like it's page. definitely
1: it doesn't feel like it's written but you can get um like i use writer duet mm-hmm. i so think I? industry standard is uh final, final draft, draft. Right. there's also a thing called celtics writers duet and celtics both have free versions mm-hmm. um write it in that yeah, yeah if i was to suggest out of the two per and this is i know we just did a contest with them but in spite of that contest like i would suggest honestly using writer duet that's because that you can open. And the main reason is is because you can open up both Celtics and final draft files inside of Writer Duet. Mm-hmm. So if no matter what people send you, you can open it up. Yep. Um,
0: online capability. It's great. Yeah, it's great. It's but
1: it has not But that's aside from like our thing with them is over. That's so it's not like a <laughs> sponsorship thing. Um, yeah. But uh, I would go back and rewrite it and something like that because I do think that when you do send in a sketch. There's a certain amount of people that will go. This isn't professional and won't give it its due its due respect, respect yeah, because right. they look at it and go, oh, it's an amateur. Yeah. And
0: you'll realize, like when you when it's written properly, this is much longer than a minute a page. Yeah. Like if you were to time it or you were to do it on stage, reading it's always going to be shorter than when you actually perform because you're getting laughs and you're waiting for beats and you're taking your time, but. If you were to write this out, I would imagine this would probably be seven yeah, pages. Yeah, you're right. Looking yeah. at correctly. it like this. Yeah. So at anytime least you six. see a seven-page sketch, you can immediately go, there's two pages that you can cut. Yeah. yeah. like Somewhere. Yeah. Unless it's fucking amazing, You know hilarious. what's funny? We have yeah. a sketch going up
1: this week that's seven pages, and we were like, we have to cut. Mm-hmm. And we all sat down trying to figure out what to cut. Mm-hmm. And... I have to be honest, it should be seven pages. Yeah, I, I mean, think, there's sometimes where it that's is. that's the yeah. only one I've right. ever seen. Yeah. I'm
0: not saying there's not an exception to the rule, but right. for the most part, there's seven pages. Yeah. If we brought seven pages into Renny, he'd be like, I'm reading four. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 for sure.
1: Um. But yeah, this is a great a good yeah, job. Yeah, thanks, Bradley. Yeah, thanks. thanks, Bradley.
0: Yeah, keep sending them in, guys. We'll read um,
1: them. Yeah. And um. so... Thanks, Bob. Thanks yeah, for coming yeah, on, man. it has been so much fun. Man, yeah. I've learned so I much. Had fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. So, do you have anything you want to sort of pitch, or any shows coming up, or anything? Uh, no, wife, I I just I feel
3: on? like a father that should just remind you of what I wish that you do as writers, and that's write what you know and write often. Get it out of you. That's good enough. Tell your story. Hmm. Hmm. It's good enough.
1: That's great. Yeah. That's and that's some really good advice. I'm working on one man show right now, and that's the advice I need. So I'm sure people need it too. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: but that's it. Great, thank yeah. you, man. Thank you very thank much, you, Jeremiah. Uh, Dad jeans, second Sunday of the month, 9 p.m. Uh, we did our Comedy Central show, the Tonight shows. We had that run.
1: It was phenomenal. Uh,
0: I oh, thought it was really good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it sounds very funny. We're gonna. I'll post it. Uh, maybe we'll retweet it up. People who weren't able to come to the Comedy Central stage, where we got the DVD of it. Oh, great. Uh, so they taped the show, and so. We'll wait and see. We'll wait 45 days and see if they want to pick it up or not. That's how it works. Cool. I guess we could have talked about it. Maybe we will one day. Yeah, we will, yeah. We will one day, very yeah. soon. Once actually. they pick it up, then you <laughs> talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's it for me. Uh, Ms. Smith, uh, third Sunday of the month. You're probably hearing this not in enough time. Damn it. We actually have a really good show this month. I'm very stoked mm-hmm. about it. Um, follow us? Follow us on Twitter, at foopod. F O O W P O D. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It goes a long way.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it Send us sketches again. Cine, pod yeah. at Gmail.
1: Yeah, if you uh, rate and review us on iTunes, uh, Stephen Perlstein gets really excited. About oh that. man, he just comes all all over (laughs) himself yeah uh uh, speaking
3: of come Can you take us out the same way
1: you started this with that slow motion masturbation (laughs) (laughs) thank you ryan oh but actually i can't because we have a way that we end every podcast bob oh really Mm -hmm. and um we don't have a uh a catchphrase for our podcast okay so we would like you to tell us to finish the, the catchphrase for our podcast for us so fish out of water is a big bam a <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thanks, Bob.
1: <laughs> this has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information
2: and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.